Hello, hello everybody. Hope you're well. Welcome back to another edition of the Stories We Tell with me, Mridula, or Ruby, as you know me, and my lovely Anika. It has been months and months since I last spoke to you all. The, the mind has been preoccupied and the heart has been um, a little heavy and now particularly so with everything that is happening in my homeland, India. Um, so to restore some sanity and to um, take me a little 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 distance closer to my home uh, a little ways where I feel I can stretch out my arms and and um, hug my family and um, have the the comfort and the warmth uh, of my mama's hugs and my papa's hugs and my brother's love and um, all our families and, and get together and laugh and play and sing and eat and do all kinds of normal things which at the moment seems like um, a different lifetime. So, um, keeping in mind all the misery and pain that is that people are going through at the moment, something to, to heal um, by doing something that or by doing the only thing that I know which is reading stories and when the heart is heavy or when the heart is happy for that matter who does one turn to but Ruskin Bond so I'm going to read a story um, that my Anika has chosen from the room of many colors called the flute player down the main road past big yellow buses cars pony-drawn tongas, motorcycles and bullock carts. This steady flow of traffic seemed somehow to form a barrier between the city on one side of the trunk road and the distant sleepy villages on the other. It seemed to cut India in half. The India Kamla knew slightly and the India she had never seen. Kamala's grandmother lived on the outskirts of the city of Jaipur and just across the road from the house there were fields and villages stretching away for hundreds of miles. But Kamala had never been across the main road. This separated the busy city from the flat green plains stretching endlessly towards the horizon. Kamala was used to city life. In England, it was London and Manchester. In India, it was Delhi and Jaipur. Rainy Manchester was of course different in many ways from sun-drenched Jaipur and Indian cities had stronger smells and more vibrant colours than their English counterparts. Nevertheless, they had much in common. Busy people always on the move, money constantly changing hands, buses to catch, schools to attend, parties to go to, TV to watch. Kamala had seen very little of the English countryside, even less of India outside the cities. 
Her parents lived in Manchester, where her father was a doctor in a large hospital. She went to school in England. But this year, during the summer holidays, she had come to India to stay with her grandmother. Apart from a maidservant and a grizzled old night watchman, Grandmother lived quite alone in a small house on the outskirts of Jaipur. During the winter months, Jaipur's climate was cool and bracing. But in the summer, a fierce sun poured down upon the city from a cloudless sky. None of the other city children ventured across the main road into the fields of millet, wheat and cotton. But Kamala was determined to visit the fields before she returned to England. From the flat roof of the house, she could see them stretching away for miles, the ripening wheat swaying in the hot wind. Finally, when there were only two days left before she went to Delhi to board a plane for London, she made up her mind and crossed the main road. She did this in the afternoon, when Grandmother was asleep and the servants were in the bazaar. She slipped out of the back door and her slippers kicked up the dust as she ran down the path to the main road. A bus roared past and more dust rose from the road and swirled about her. Kamala ran through the dust, past the jacaranda trees that lined the road and into the fields. Suddenly, the world became an enormous place bigger and more varied than it had seemed from the air, also mysterious and exciting, and just a little frightening. The sea of wheat stretched away till it merged with the hot, blinding blue of the sky. Far to her left were a few trees and the low, white huts of a village. To her right lay hollow pits of red dust and a blackened chimney where bricks used to be made. In front, some distance away, Kamala could see a camel moving around a well, drawing up water for the fields. She set out in the direction of the camel. Her grandmother had told her not to wander off on her own in the city. But this wasn't the city and as far as she knew, camels did not attack people. It took her a long time to get to the camel. It was about half a mile away, though it seemed much nearer. And when Kamala reached it, she was surprised to find that there was no one else in sight. The camel was turning the wheel by itself, moving round and round the well, while the water kept gushing up in little trays to run down the channels into the fields. The camel took no notice of Kamala, did not look at her even once, just carried on about its business. There must be someone here, thought Kamala, walking towards a mango tree that grew a few yards away. Ripe mangoes dangled like globules of gold from its branches. Under the tree, fast asleep, was a boy. All he wore was a pair of dirty white shorts. His body had been burned dark by the sun. His hair was tousled, his feet chalky with dust. In the palm of his outstretched hand was a flute. He was a thin boy with long, bony legs, but Kamala felt that he was strong too. 
for his body was hard and wiry. Kamla came nearer to the sleeping boy, peering at him with some curiosity, for she had not seen a village boy before. Her shadow fell across his face. The coming of the shadow woke the boy. He opened his eyes and stared at Kamla. When she did not say anything, he sat up, his head a little to one side, his hands clasping his knees and stared at her. Who are you? he asked a little gruffly. He was not used to waking up and finding strange girls staring at him. I'm Kamla. I've come from England, but I'm really from India. I mean, I've come home to India, but I'm really from England. This was getting to be rather confusing. So she countered with an abrupt, Um, who are you? Ha, <laughs> I'm the strongest boy in the village, said the boy deciding to assert himself without any further ado. My name is Romy. I can wrestle and swim and climb any tree. And do you sleep a lot? asked Kamla innocently. Romy scratched his head and grinned. I must look after the camel, he said. It is no use staying awake for the camel. It keeps going round the well until it is tired and then it stops. When it has rested, it starts going round and round again. It can carry on like that all day, but it eats a lot. Mention of the camel's food reminded Romy that he was hungry. He was growing fast these days and was nearly always hungry. There were some mangoes lying beside him and he offered one to Cam... Camla? To <laughs> Camel, Annika. Annie. Have you fallen asleep, sweetie pie? Have you fallen asleep? Oh, well. Hanika has fallen asleep. So I'm talking to myself now. Well, so it wasn't Kamala, the who was near the camels. Bad joke. It was Kamala. They were silent for a few minutes. Well, I was laughing because of A, the Kamala, but B, because mangoes, as you know, my love for mangoes, uh, which reminds me, I've only just had a few mangoes this season so I must probably try to look for some more moving on they were silent for a few minutes you cannot suck mangoes and talk at the same time truth this is the truth after they had finished they washed their hands in the water from one of the trays there are parrots in the tree said Kamla noticing three or four green parrots conducting a noisy meeting in the topmost branches they reminded her a bit of a pop group she had seen and heard at home. They spoil most of the mangoes, said Romy. He flung a stone at them, missing, but they took off with squawks of protest, flashes of green and gold wheeling in the sunshine. Where do you swim? asked Kamla. Down in the well? Ah, of course not. I'm not a frog. There is a canal not far from here. Come, I'll show you. As they crossed the fields, a pair of blue jays flew out of a bush, rockets of bright blue that dipped and swerved, rising and falling as they chased each other. Remembering a story that grandmother had told her, Kamla said, They are sacred birds, aren't they? Because of their blue throats. She told him the story of the god Shiva, 
having a blue throat because he had swallowed a poison that would have destroyed the world. He had kept the poison in his throat and would not let it go further. And so his throat is blue, like the blue jays. Romy liked this story. His respect for Kamla was greatly increased, but he was not to be outdone. And when a small grey squirrel dashed across the path, he told her that squirrels too were sacred. Krishna, the god who had been born into a farmer's family like Romy's, had been fond of squirrels and would take them in his arms and stroke them. That is why squirrels have four dark lines down their backs, said Romy. Krishna was very dark, as dark as I am, and the stripes are the marks of his fingers. Can you catch a squirrel? asked Kamla. No, they are too quick. But I caught a snake once. I caught it by its tail and I dropped it in the old well. That well is full of snakes. Whenever we catch one, instead of killing it, we drop it in the well. They can't get out. Kamla shuddered at the thought of all those snakes swimming and wriggling about at the bottom of the deep well. She wasn't sure that she wanted to return to the well with him. But she forgot about the snakes when they reached the canal. It was a small canal, about 10 meters wide and only waist deep in the middle. But it was very muddy at the bottom. She had never seen such a muddy stream in her life. Would you like to get in? asked Romy. No, said Kamla. You get in. Romy was only too ready to show off his tricks in the water. His toes took a firm hold on the grassy bank, the muscles of his calves tensed, and he dived into the water with a loud splash, landing rather awkwardly on his belly. It was a poor dive. But Kamla was impressed. Romy swam across to the opposite bank and then back again. When he climbed out of the water, he was covered with mud. It made him look quite fierce. Come on in, he invited. It's not deep. It's dirty, said Kamla, but felt tempted all the same. It's only mud, said Romy. There's nothing wrong with mud. Camels like mud. Buffaloes love mud. Um, but I'm not a camel or a buffalo. All right, you don't have to go right in. Just walk along the sides of the channel. After a moment's hesitation, Kamla slipped her feet out of her slippers and crept cautiously down the slope till her feet were in the water. She went no further. But even so, some of the muddy water splashed onto her clean white skirt. What would she tell grandmother? Her feet sank into the soft mud and she gave a little squeal as the water reached her knees. It was with some difficulty that she got each foot out of the sticky mud. Romy took her by the hand and they went stumbling along the side of the channel while little fish swam in and out of their legs and a heron, one foot raised, waited until they had passed before snapping a fish out of the water. The little fish glistened in the sun before it disappeared down the heron's throat. Romy gave a sudden exclamation and came to a stop. Kamla held on to him for support. What is it? she asked a little nervously. 
It's a tortoise, said Romy. Can you see it? He pointed to the bank of the canal. And there, lying quite still, was a small tortoise. Romy scrambled up the bank and before Kamala could stop him, had picked up the tortoise. As soon as he touched it, the animal's head and legs disappeared into its shell. Romy turned it over, but from behind the breastplate, only the head and a spiky tail were visible. Look! exclaimed Kamala, pointing to the ground where the tortoise had been lying. What's in that hole? They peered into the hole. It was about half a meter deep and at the bottom were five or six white eggs, a little smaller than a hen's eggs. Put it back, said Kamla. It was sitting on its eggs. Romy shrugged and dropped the tortoise back on its hole. It peeped out from behind its shell, saw the children were still present and retreated into its shell again. I must go, said Kamla. It's getting late. Granny will wonder where I've gone. They walked back to the mango tree and washed their hands and feet in the cool, clear water from the well. But only after Romy had assured Kamla that there weren't any snakes in the well. He had been talking about an old, disused well on the far side of the village. Kamla told Romy she would take him to her house one day. But it would have to be next year, or perhaps the year after, when she came to India again. Is it very far where you're going? asked Romy. Yes, England is across the seas. I have to go back to my parents, and my school is there too. But I will take the plane from Delhi. Have you ever been to Delhi? I have not been further than Jaipur, said Romy. What is England like? Are there canals to swim in? Mm, You can swim in the sea. Lots of people go swimming in the sea, but it's too cold most of the year. Where I live, there are shops and cinemas and places where you can eat anything you like. And people from all over the world come to live there. You can see red faces, brown faces, black faces, white faces. I saw a red face once, said Romy. He came to the village to take pictures. He took one of me sitting on the camel. He said he would send me the picture, but it never came. Kamla noticed the flute lying on the grass. Is it your flute? she asked. Yes, said Romy. It is an old flute, but the old ones are best. I found it lying in a field last year. Perhaps it was God Krishna's. He was always playing the flute. And who taught you to play it? Nobody. I learned by myself. Shall I play it for you? Kamala nodded and they sat down on the grass, leaning against the trunk of the mango tree and Romy put the flute to his lips and began to play. It was a slow, sweet tune, a little sad, a little happy and the notes were taken up by the breeze and carried across the fields. There was no one to hear the music except the birds and the camel and Kamala. Whether the camel liked it or not, we shall never know. It just kept going round and round and round the well, drawing up water for the fields. And whether the birds liked it or not, we cannot say. Although it is true that they were all suddenly silent when Romy began to play. But Kamla was charmed by the music.
and she watched Romy while he played and the boy smiled at her with his eyes and ran his fingers along the flute. When he stopped playing, everything was still, everything silent, except for the soft wind sighing in the wheat and the gurgle of water coming up from the well. Come lusted up to leave. When will you come again? asked Romy. I will try to come next year, said Kamla. That is a long time. By then you will be quite old. You may not want to come. I will come, said Kamla. Promise? Promise. Romy put the flute in her hands and said, You keep it. I can get another one. But I don't know how to play it, said Kamla. It will play by itself, said Romy. She took the flute and put it to her lips and blew on it, producing a squeaky little note that startled a lone parrot out of the mango tree. Romy laughed, and while he was laughing, Kamla turned and ran down the path through the fields. And when she had gone some distance, she turned and waved to Romy with the flute. He stood near the well and waved back to her. Cupping his hands to his mouth, he shouted across the fields, Don't forget to come back next year! And Kamla called back, I won't forget! But her voice was faint, and the breeze blew the words away, and Romy did not hear them. Was England home? wondered Kamla. Or was this Indian city home? Or was her true home in that other India? Across the busy trunk road? Perhaps she would find out one day. Romy watched her until she was just a speck in the distance. And then he turned and shouted at the camel, telling it to move faster. But the camel did not even glance at him. It just carried on as before, as India had carried on for thousands and thousands of years, round and round and round the well, while the water gurgled and splashed over the smooth, smooth stones. And that's the end of the story. I have a child who's fallen asleep, so I'm left uh, reading the story to myself and to all of you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed reading it. I think this was certainly what the doctor ordered for me. I just felt an instant connect with home. And it's interesting that the questions he raises about about what is home? Where is home? Um... It's interesting that he raises these questions because for all of us that live away from our homeland and have chosen to be in another country, um, in another place, for whatever reason, there is always that, that bit of a struggle that we feel, I suppose. Um, for those of you who are not from India, um, I still hope that this story, the simplicity of this story and the fact that life goes on, you know, they talk about, he talks about India and how, you know, the, the camel keeps going round and round and round the well. But it could be anything, I suppose. It's just that civilizations um, 
and and times keep going on time doesn't stop for anybody and we are just a small speck in the ocean with that in mind uh, and with with the thought that things keep moving on i hope that things will move on very very quickly all over the world that this storm will pass and that we will all together and we do need to be together in this be able to overcome it thank you all for listening and uh, i hope you can join me when we get back together next time and i promise it won't be so long so until then stay safe stay happy stay well stay home if you're in india please do not go out mask up and get vaccinated and oh read a lot of books because that's the only thing that's going to hold us in good stead no matter what happens thank you good night sleep tight and don't let the bugs bite toots